And uh, it's lovely to see some faces that I've seen many, many times. And it's also good to see some faces that are, I haven't seen before. That means that new folks are coming in. And that's what we want, isn't it? We want to see the kingdom extended. That's what we're in business for. Not just to have a cozy little holy club. We want to see the kingdom of God extended. And I'm so glad that that is happening with you down here in Warsaw. Now, I want to speak to you this morning about encouragement and discouragement. Is there anybody who likes to be encouraged? Oh, well, that's about half a dozen. That's good. Anybody who likes to be discouraged? No. Anybody ever been discouraged? Yes, I reckon there has. So, okay, I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about that this morning. Now, whoever we are, whatever we are, whatever we may have done, whatever good we may have done, whatever bad we may have done, whether we're a Christian or whether we're a non-Christian, whether we feel on top of the world this morning or whether we feel the world is on top of us, I want to tell you God has a plan for your life. And it doesn't matter who you are, what's happened to you, God still has a plan for each one of our lives. And the reason why God's plan isn't implemented in all our lives is because sometimes we just don't cooperate. And sometimes God's plan for our lives is not quite the plan that we had dreamed up. But I have to say, God's plan is superior to, to any plan that we might think or dream about. Because God knows best, and if God has a plan for us, and we go along with it, he will make sure that we have all the ability and all the resources for that plan to be fulfilled in our lives. But of course, for God to fulfill his plan in our lives completely, we have to be in God's family. In other words, we have to have come and accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And if there's anyone here this morning that hasn't done that yet, I want to tell you God loves you. And he loves you enough to send Jesus to die on the cross that we might be forgiven, that we might have the assurance that the relationship between us and God is okay, that all the wrong we've done has been forgiven, and that that Jesus is the key to opening the door to all of God's blessings. And without Jesus, we will be starved of the blessings that God has for us. So I want to encourage anyone this morning who's never yet probably heard the gospel many times, but you've never taken that life-changing, important decision of saying, come into my life, Lord Jesus. Come and be my Lord and Savior. Can I encourage you to do that? It's the wisest and the best decision that you will ever make. Now, why am I so sure that God has a plan for everybody's life? Well, there's a verse in Scripture that says this. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the first plan God has for everybody on planet Earth, whoever we are, rich or poor, clever or not so clever, it doesn't matter one iota, God's plan is that we come into his family 
that we come under the care of God as our Heavenly Father. And that is our invitation this morning. And for everybody, whoever we are, we need to accept that invitation first. And once we've accepted that invitation, once we've come into God's family, there's a well-known verse from Jeremiah that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Listen on. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I don't think there's a better plan than that around, do you? A plan that we may prosper, a plan to give us a future, a plan to give us hope. I think that is pretty good indeed. And it's good for us as Christians to encourage one another in the, in the faith. You know, we had those lovely gifts of the Holy Spirit this morning. Um, and uh, as I, I stood there, I, I was sort of listening in, you know. Um, you do. Uh, I, I love Rachel's interpretation. I had a similar interpretation that was just along the same lines. And, uh, and then um, Jane came in uh, with the prophetic word, and it all blended together. God is interested in us, and he wants us to praise him. And we can encourage God by praising him. You know, that's strange, isn't it? We can encourage God. Does God need us? Well, he didn't need our advice when he created the world. And he doesn't need our advice when we tell him what he ought to do. He can do it. But he loves to engage with us. He loves to hear our feedback. He loves to hear our praise and worship. And you know, the other thing is about encouragement, and I guess you know this, because you're a savvy lot in Junction 10. Do you know that when we encourage somebody, we encourage them, and do you know who we encourage the most? Ourselves? Absolutely. As we encourage another person, we encourage ourselves. Now, I like to be encouraged, so I like to encourage a lot of folks. Because that does it. Hey, but the other thing is true as well. When we discourage another person, who do we, who, who do we discourage most? Ourselves. So it's a two-way thing, really. But I want to talk a little bit about encouragement and particularly about dealing with discouragement. Now, you know, I've been around a little bit. You can tell that. I haven't got much hair and it's, it's that sort of colour. But, you know, I've met Christians who self-harm. You say, what? Yes. Met Christians who self-harm. How do they self-harm? They hold unforgiveness in their lives. And if you want to self-harm, that's the best way to do it. Because when we don't forgive, the person we injure most is not Joe Bloggs down the road or whatever it is, it's ourselves. And sometimes I met Christians who self-harm because they gossip. And who do we harm most when we gossip? Ourselves, without a doubt. And I've met Christians who seem to have a ministry of discouragement. Have you ever met any of those? You know, wet blankets. Uh, I know a couple. I've got a couple. Actually, I, I tell you, I've had experience. I've got the baseball cap in the vest as well. You know, whatever God is doing, there's something wrong with it. You know, 
And I feel sorry for these folks. I said to one of them one day, I said to him, I feel sorry for you. You're the most miserable bloke I've ever encountered. And he does. That's what happens. They self-harm themselves and with criticism as well. But how lovely it is to encourage folks. But we know as well, don't we, that there are discouragements. What do we do when we have discouragements? Sometimes we have periods of discouragement. Do you know, those periods of discouragement can be stepping stones to something great for God. We can stay there in the dungeon or we can come out and let God do what he wants to do in our lives. And we can never have the fulfillment of God's plan in our lives when we are sat locked in a dungeon of discouragement. So if there's anyone here this morning that you feel locked in discouragement, that you're discouraged, I want to tell you we can change that. There can be hope for that. And we're going to look at that as we go through. You see, discouragement, just as encouragement, is a tool that will lift us up. And I think that all real encouragement comes from God. No, I don't mean flattery. You know, I mean that genuine, heartfelt word that encourages people. Isn't it strange that one little word of encouragement can lift a person up and one little word of discouragement can knock them down flat? Words are so important and the Bible tells us to make sure that we use our words properly, that we get the positive out of our mouth, that we, we try and do what we can to build one another up. I don't know about you, but I need building up sometimes. Do you? We all need to be built up. And we all have this ability that we can build our fellow members up and our leaders up by giving them words of encouragement. doesn't cost very much, but a simple little word could really lift folks up. And I want you all to do something for me. I want you to volunteer to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm volunteering to be an encourager in this church. Do you reckon that might be good? Yeah, I want to be an encourager in this church. But there's this discouragement that comes. Do you know, the enemy loves to downgrade God's plan in our lives. He loves to downgrade our belief and our confidence in God. And the way he usually does it is through discouragement. Most of our encouragement will come through another person. Do you agree? And where does most of our discouragement come from? Through another person. Absolutely true. And we know what happens with discouragement. Our vision is dimmed. Our hope is diminished. Our confidence and our faith are dented. Our enthusiasm is diluted. And our motivation, that's disabled. We, when we're really discouraged, we don't feel motivated. Everything is too much trouble. Everything is too hard. And God doesn't want us to be like that. Am I speaking to anyone this morning? Anyone ever been there? Maybe you're there this morning. I want to tell you, we don't have to stay there. There is life after discouragement. 
Jesus said, He had come that we might have life and we might have it to the full, more abundantly. In other words, he says, hey, come on, I've got a good deal here. The life that I want to bring you, that's the life we want to build. Do you know, that is the best advert for the Christian faith. Absolutely. As those lovely fruits of the Holy Spirit flow out throughout our lives to other people, that is probably better than getting them by the lapels and giving them a sermon. If they can see the love of God uh, flowing through us, that, would, that is absolutely wonderful. So, is discouragement a sin? No. Worry might be a sin. Oh dear me. We're all sinners this morning then, aren't we? Because we've all been there. Jesus told us not to do it. And if he tells us not to do it, it could be that's a sin. But discouragement, is that a sin? No. Moses, Elijah, David, Jeremiah, Job, Jesus, Paul, Peter, all suffered a season of discouragement in their lives. So if there's anyone discouraged this morning, you're in good company. There's so many folks in, in the Bible that have had similar experiences, but the thing is, we have to do something about it. Because discouragement has such a negative effect on us and can leave us so badly bruised that we feel we can never go forward as well. Maybe there's someone here this morning and discouragement has just blighted your life and you think that's the end of the things, I just can't carry on anymore, I've had it. Stop the planet, I want to get off. Hey, God's got some news for you. And it's good news. You know, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the covering of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed. Jesus can release us this morning. But I don't know whether you've met folk like this. I've met folk like this who love their discouragement. They almost feel safe in the discouragement. And they don't, want to, they don't want to come out of there. That's their mask. They can hide under that. Don't hide under that. There's a life to be lived. And we can live it if we come out from there. One of the Old Testament characters who was in discouragement was Elijah. Now, this guy, he was a mighty man of God. Um, many of the Jews to this day think that Elijah was their greatest prophet. Some think it's Moses. Some think that it's Elijah. And Elijah, he did some magnificent things under the Lord. He seems to parachute into Israel at a time when they were in a bit of a crisis. On the throne was King Hayab, but who ruled the country? Not Hayab. It was his wife Jezebel. And uh, it says in the Bible that Hayab did more evil than any king before him. And God looks down and he sees this situation. He has led the nation on paths that they shouldn't have gone. They're worshipping idols. They've forgotten about the living God. And Elijah parachutes into it and he goes to Hayab and he said, there's going to be no rain 
until I say so. I tell you folks, you need some folk, you need some faith to say that, don't you? To up to somebody who would slice your head off at the whim and say there's going to be no rain in this country until I say so. And of course, he, he, uh, as he went about his ministry, uh, people were raised from the dead, uh, miracles of the cruise of oil and that, and then there was the great showdown with the prophets of Baal. This man, he seemed so in touch with God, he couldn't possibly be discouraged. It couldn't happen to him. Everything was going for him. God was looking after him. God said, you go and hide by the brook, because Ahab's after you, and uh, I'll send the ravens to feed you. I tell you folks, you need a bit of faith for that, don't you? The ravens to come and bring you breakfast and your dinner and your tea. You need a lot of faith for that. And would we want to eat it if the ravens delivered it? <laughs> Health and safety would have a fit about it, wouldn't they, really? But Elijah was prepared to do that. So was his absolute trust and faith in God. And then there came the day when it was said to Israel, make up your mind, who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God? Or are you going to serve these idols and these useless idols? Make up your mind. So if you remember, they got together on Mount Carmel, and there were about 850 prophets of Baal, and there was Elijah. And Elijah said, okay, here's the deal. You offer a sacrifice, I'll offer a sacrifice, and the God that answers by fire is the real God. So they agreed, and you know the story. They tried from morning till evening, and Elijah, he had a field day with them. He said, well, you know, perhaps he's a bit tired. Perhaps your God's having a kip somewhere. Perhaps he's popped to the loo. You never know what he might be doing. Try a bit harder. And they tried harder, and nothing happened. And then Elijah comes, and he said, okay, it's my turn now. And they found some water from somewhere. They poured it on the sacrifices, and he called to the God of heaven, and the fire was so intense that it actually burnt the stones and it burnt the ground. What a manifestation of the power of God. Somebody who's seen that would never doubt that God could look after them, or could they? Jezebel wasn't very happy about what had happened, and she sends a message to Eliza. She said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow... I do not make your life like one of them. And of course, Elijah said, oh, who's Jezebel? I'm serving the God of heaven. This is what the Bible said he did. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And he didn't run around the block three times. He ran a hundred miles south down to Beersheba. That must have taken him four to five days. This man who had done mighty things for God, and now he was running away from this woman who wanted his blood. I tell you, folks, we can be a strong Christian. God can have used us in many ways, but we can be open to discouragement. And we forget all the good things that God has done. We forget all the things that he's brought us through, all those impossible situations when it looked like the end, when it looked like there was no way, and God shoots in 
and he does it in a way we would have never dreamed about. We forget that. And the thing of the discouragement, it's got us and it's got us locked. Let me suggest three, four things or so that caused the discouragement. The first thing was fear. He feared Jezebel, a woman. The only thing he could see was this woman, Jezebel, chasing him. And he couldn't see an almighty God on the throne. An almighty God who just answered in an indisputable way that he was the God that was real and not the gods of Baal. Fear. And fear can hit us, can't it? People fear about all sorts of things. People can have imaginary fears and very real fears. Have you ever had those imaginary fears about two o'clock in the morning? And you're terrified and you wonder how on earth you're going to cope with this? This problem's too big. I'll never handle it, Lord. And you wake up and it doesn't seem quite so big. But fear can play havoc with us. It can be fear of loneliness. It can be fear of bereavement. It can be fear of family life. It can be fear of relationships. It can be fear of people. It can be fear of what people say to us. It can be fear of people's attitudes. But whatever it is, it can discourage us. And folk feel that they can't cope with life almost anymore. They are so discouraged. Fear. You know what Elijah said? He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Not only was he fearful, he felt an absolute failure. In actual fact, he says at one point, he says, Lord, you're the only prophet you've got down here. And I can imagine God smiling, thinking, no, Elijah, I'll tell you when you're a bit better. Uh, I've got 7,000, actually. You know, when God did send an angel to meet him, he didn't give him a going over. He didn't give him a lecture and say, oh, you're a silly man. How on earth could you end up like that? Whatever we've done, whatever think we haven't done, whatever our failure with, we, you may think, God is not out to give us a lecture. He's out to give us help. Let me say that again. He's not out to give us a lecture. He's out to help us. And Elijah, he felt he was a complete failure. He'd forgotten completely how the Lord had used him. He'd forgotten completely the confidence that he'd had in God. And now, here he was, he felt a failure completely. And maybe someone here this morning, you can feel a failure. Perhaps you feel a failure as a Christian. Perhaps you feel that you've let the Lord down. Well, maybe you have. I've never met anybody who hasn't. Somewhere along the line, it can happen to us, can't it? Maybe we have failure, we feel a failure in our work for the Lord. You know, we do something and then we have a post-mortem on it, how we could have done it better. I used to be like that uh, when I first started to preach. 
I used to go home on a Sunday night and I used to go over a message about four or five times. Oh, I should have said that. And I should have said the other. You know, hey, I don't do that any longer. Yes, I do my notes. But I keep one ear open to what the Lord's got to say to me. And sometimes folk come up to, after a service and they say, you know when you said so and so tonight? And I think that was never in my notes. That is the Lord that does it in it. So we don't have to worry, you know. And, you know, we think sometimes we've got to preach perfect sermons. I tell you, one word from God does the trick. It doesn't need a sermon. It needs one word that the Holy Spirit takes and implants it in our hearts. And we know that is God. We know we've touched a God moment when God has really spoken into our situation. And if you feel a failure this morning, a failure in marriage, a failure in leadership, failure to overcome some binding habit, failure to receive an answer to a much longed for prayer, failure to receive an expected good result, I want to tell you, God is on your case. But we need to know he's there and we need to trust him. And if we're in the, the um, depths of despair because of a failure, this morning is the morning to come out of it. God can lift you out of that if only you want to. You know, there's a scripture in Hebrews that says, it's talking about these heroes of faith. It says, through faith and patience, they obtained the promise. You see, when we pray and God doesn't deliver the answer yesterday, we think that God hasn't heard. We think that God maybe doesn't care. I want, oh sorry, I want to say I've learned in my life that God is never late. He is always bang on time. It says in scripture, in the fullness of time. Never late, never early, bang on time. And sometimes we don't like waiting, do we? You know, I was talking to a lady the other day and she said, I can't stand in a queue in the supermarket. She said, as soon as I get there, uh, I want to be served. And if I'm not, I'm all agitated. Well, tough luck, darling, you're going to wait a long time <laughs> in some supermarkets. You know, that happens, doesn't it? But with God, who will deliver his promise right at the right moment, we can be sure that through faith, we believe God's going to do it. But sometimes we ain't got the patience, have we? You know, if only God would listen to us, he would be so much wiser. I can imagine Abelath. I bet he's laughed at some of my prayers. And isn't it funny how that you look back on life at some of the prayers that God's answered and you just thank him that he didn't answer it in the way that you'd asked him to do it. Otherwise, we would be in a great big mess. So if we think we've failed along that line, there's hope. And the other thing that for his discouragement was he got fatigued. He was absolutely worn out. Well, he had run 100 miles, and it says, then he lay down and he went to sleep. There he was, fast asleep. He was worn out mentally. He was worn out physically. He was worn out emotionally. And he was worn out spiritually. Anybody worn out this morning? That can happen. And you know, when we get tired, everything seems worse. 
And when we get tired spiritually and physically, all things look so bad. We can become so despondent and so discouraged. But I want to say, we have a God that can wake us up. We have a God that can bring us some encouragement. Come on to that in a minute. And the last thing that had discouraged him was unforgiveness. You say, unforgiveness? Yeah. He couldn't forgive himself for what he'd done. That he'd run away from this woman Jezebel and he just couldn't forgive himself. And his vision was dimmed. His hope had diminished. It had gone like Job. Remember Job said, I've got no hope. Where can I get any hope from? Where am I going to get hope from? Do you know we serve a God of hope? And if you've lost hope this morning, God can do something about that. You see, we can't have faith without hope. The Bible says that faith is the substance or the evidence of things hoped for. So if there's no hope, we can't have any faith. So we need some hope. And if you've got no hope this morning, God can do that. And he'd lost it completely. His confidence and his faith were ended. His enthusiasm was diluted. And he just wanted to sit down, get off the planet. Lord, take my life. I've had enough. I can't take any more. Anybody there this morning? You feel just like that? You can not only sympathize with him, you can empathize with him. You know exactly what it's like to be in that place. So is there an answer? Yes. Let me just conclude with these four points. For fear and frustration, we have to resist fear. You don't let fear get hold of us. We get hold of the fear and deal with it. You know, there's a scripture says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of a sound mind. In other words, God has given us the power to overcome that fear. We've got to recognize it's there. Yeah, we've got to resist it. Here's some lovely words. Uh, poor old Joshua, he was going to have a tough, tough chance, uh, a tough time. He'd got to follow in the steps of Moses. That was a big thing. And this is what the Lord says, be strong and of good courage. Anybody here this morning need to hear that? Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is he that goes with you. He will not fail. Okay? So the unfailing God is with us. The psalmist says, The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The psalmist said, Fear? Hey, come on. God's on our side. God's on our, in, on our case. God's with us. Why do we fear these mortal men? Why do we fear these other people? You know, frightened to look at them, cross out the other side of the road, and that's... There's no need to do that. We have a God that hasn't given us fear, but a spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. 
What about for our failure? Well, we've all failed. We've all messed up somewhere along the line. Some of us have messed up more than others. But we've all done it. Is that the end of life? There's life after discouragement. There's life after failure. You know, some of the scientists, I uh, forget which one it was now, did about 2,000 experiments and he got nowhere. And someone said to him, you're getting nowhere. He said, I've found 2,000 ways how not to do it, which is a very positive way to look at it, isn't it, really? Yeah, we need to renew our thinking. What we think is so important. The scripture says, as a, as a man is, so, sorry, as a man thinks, so he is. We become what we think. And if we get our failure thinking there, we'll do it even more. We've got to renew our minds. The scripture says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Allow your mind to be renewed. Allow God to do it. Allow some Holy Ghost wisdom thoughts to come in. Yeah, renew our minds. You know, the scripture says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding. What do you think about having peace when I feel an absolute failure? That, that ain't on. It is with God. In the midst of our failure, we can have a peace that God will bring us through. He has got something better than our failure. He's got some success waiting for us somewhere. But we've got to come through the failure first. And he says that peace will guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. Elijah thought he was a failure. But you know what God did to this failure? He gave him some new assignments. Fancy giving a failure some new assignments. That's what God does. That's how God works. And if we think we've messed up in our work for the Lord, hang on a minute. He's probably got some other assignments around the corner. Oh, that, there's that lovely excuse, isn't there? Oh, I'm an AOP now. I'm a senior citizen now. I've done my bit. That's it. Hey, come on. We never retire as being Christians. The Lord has always got something for us to do. It may not be up here. And let me tell you, the most important work of the Christian life ain't on the pulpit. It's out there. Living day by day. Meeting folks who don't know the Lord. Letting his love shine through us. Letting them know that we are different. Not we superior, but we different to them. Because God has done something in us. So, okay, we need to renew our... Uh, time's gone very quickly. Fatigue. Maybe we need to take a rest. Jesus said to his disciples, Hey, come on, lads. We've been so busy. You need to take a rest. You need to have a break. And sometimes in leadership, we can get so wrapped up with what we're doing, uh, with all sorts of things, we need a break sometimes. Sometimes we need what I call the rest test. Just have a rest. Just take it easy for a bit and allow the Lord to do something with us. And then for the unforgiveness, yes, well, if there's something that we haven't forgiven ourselves, we've got to do that. We'll, we, will re, we will remain in discouragement if we don't do that. We just need to forgive. Maybe it's the person we need to forgive. Do you know what the most difficult person to forgive is? Ourselves. 
Oh, yeah, we can forgive the others. If we don't forgive ourselves, we'll never get out of discouragement. And if we're going to live in discouragement, God cannot fulfill the good plans he has for us. So that's something that we need to do. Forgive ourselves. And the last thing I want to say is we rely on God. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. My strength, says Paul, the Lord talking to Paul, is made perfect in weakness. And if you feel you're in weakness this morning, if you feel that discouragement is too big for you, it may be too big for you to handle on your own, but it's not too big for God. Give him a chance.